Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Good day to you all. Let the music run out on this one, because I'm in no hurry at all. It's Tuesday, February the 20th. Still on the all-star break, so just floating along through these few grueling, harrowing days without basketball to cover. I I hate it, man. I get to the I get to the end of the regular season and I'm like, yeah, okay, finally I get to relax a little bit. And legitimately one week later, I'm ready for basketball to be back. One week. That's all I need. I know the players need a longer offseason, and plus we got the playoffs to venture through. But I want fantasy to come back as soon as it goes, and uh, such is also the case here for the All-Star break. I'm ready for games to be back. I felt like, I don't know, something about last week felt easier. I don't know why. Maybe it's because the games, you know, they go till Thursday, so I have plenty of content lined up. And this week I got to, like, really dig in. Figure what the hell we're talking about without games going on. But I thought, and I have sort of a two-parter. Today's episode, this is the shutdown risk and sell high combo platter. Because it does all kind of roll into one. And it depend to some degree, some of this is going to depend on whether or not uh, your league's trade deadline has happened already. So, you know, you got that to worry about. But more than anything, it's sort of things to keep an eye on. And then... Uh, upcoming show, we'll talk a little bit about possible silly season winners, which is kind of like the second half of this. If somebody gets shut down, there's probably going to be a silly season winner on the back end of that. But we're not going to do that all in one show. It's too much. It's way too much show. If I want to do a half an hour show on each of those, you guys know that I end up talking longer than I plan to. So I don't... I can't plan to go into a show with like a 75-minute outline because then it's bound to be a two-hour episode. Uh, so you guys are busting it into two halves. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, everybody. I am Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S, over on the Twitters. This is, of course, a sports ethos presentation. And as far as organization goes on today's episode, it's pretty straightforward. This is a list of guys that have the potential to be shut down. But before we even get to that, because there's other fantasy stuff we need to talk about, we need to worry or not nah, worry so much, but we need to just dig in a little bit on the concept of the shutdown as a whole. What does it mean? And does it happen nearly as much as folks feel like it does? So the idea of the shutdown, and I think many of you know where I'm going with this. Typically, it is a player on a team that has been eliminated from playoff contention or is very close to being eliminated, you know, because mathematically, like, you're blurring the lines a little bit, that's been in the league for at least a few years, typically, and kind of has no reason to play out the string. A perfect example of this, and it's someone that we'll talk about again on today's show, is Jeremy Grant, who has been languishing on terrible teams basically forever, since his Nuggets run. That was the Bubble Nuggets. By the way, if I was ever going to start a uh, a boy band, we'd call ourselves the Bubble Nuggets. Jeremy Grant was a uh, 
well above average role player on that 2019-2020 Nuggets team that really took a step forward during their playoff push. Almost sort of alongside Jokic and Jamal Murray, almost pushed them past the Lakers in the bubble. And then went and got paid. Got a bunch of money to go to Detroit and got a bunch of money here in Portland. And over the last four seasons, one of them, of course, was a 72-gamer. That was the, the season immediately following the bubble run. He played 54 games in that one. Missed 18 out of 72. It's about 25% or so. Played 47 out of 82 the following year. 63 out of 82 last season on a Portland team that had, I call them light aspirations until they went into a full tank late. And he's at, currently at 47 games played this year, which is not an unhealthy number. The Blazers have played 54, so he's only missed you know, a handful of them to this point. But who cares about what he's missed to this point? The Blazers are 15-39. and 39. There was really no doubt going into this year that they were going to be a tank team. They're 12 and a half games out of a playoff spot. So mathematically, by, you know, the second to last week in March, they'll almost be mathematically, they might even be mathematically eliminated by that point. So maybe this is a thing that creeps up at mathematical elimination. But... The point is, and, and look, we've, we've covered this ground here on Jeremy Grant already, so I don't need to sort of cycle back through it, even though he's going to be one of the first names on the list we talk about. This is an example of it happening. There are a lot of examples, uh, many, of it not happening. And some of them has to do with, you know, how we come into a fantasy season. There's this idea of like, oh, well, I'm going to try not to draft players on teams that are likely tanking because then maybe I get screwed by that towards the end of the year. But there's all these things that can happen along the way. Last year, the Thunder didn't tank. They had every reason to, to try to go get Victor Wembanyama or someone up high in this draft, and they didn't do it. A lot of folks avoided the Thunder last season, and they didn't tank. Last season, it seemed like the Blazers were going to try to compete. And they did tank at the end of the year. They just called it. The Mavericks tanked the end of last season because they didn't want to make the play-in tournament. And I think there was some draft capital that was also on the line. I bring all that up because there's a difference in analyzing the concept of the shutdown on February 20th than there is in analyzing the concept of the shutdown on September 20th. Because on September 20th, you could try to pick eight or nine teams that you don't think are going to be in contention, but you just don't really know what they're going to be doing with their guys or, frankly, whether those guys are even going to be on the team the second half of the year. Terry Rozier is not on the Hornets anymore. You may have avoided him because of a fear of a tank. Now, he's hurt and he hasn't been as good in Miami, but he's not shutting it down. Little things like that happen constantly. The Spurs. There may have been a fear of a Victor Wembanyama shutdown, which doesn't really seem like it's going to be the case. Spurs have been largely playing there. I mean, he's been on a minutes cap, and he took a few back-to-back -back odds back-to-backs off, but by and large, you know, Wemby's playing games. He's at 49 games so far this year. He's, you know, right up there at a reasonable number. He's missed six. That's not that much. 10% of their games, roughly, 12%, something like that. Not a big deal. 
the Blazers, to this point, have had a lot of guys hurt. They've been a much worse team. The Grizzlies weren't supposed to be tanking at all this year. You knew Jaw was going to miss 25 games with a suspension, but you figured they'd try to stay afloat, and then he'd come back and they'd make a run. Well, they were terrible out of the gate. Marcus Mark got hurt twice. Jaw came back and then immediately was lost for the season, what, two and a half weeks later, something like that? Steven Adams never played a game to start the year. Desmond Bain got hurt midseason. He may or may not come back. It's very hard to know who a shutdown player is going to be in September. We're going to get a lot of those wrong, and so avoiding the things outside of the extraordinarily obvious ones is a recipe for disaster. The obvious ones were, you know, the Wizards were a pretty reasonable one. You knew they were going into a full rebuild. So, yeah, still worried about that. You might have thought the Jazz were going into a maximum rebuild, but then they've been competitive again. And they'll probably pull the plug on some guys here, but who exactly? So that's what today's show is about. Today's show is not to try to convince you that a shutdown is something that you should be worried about long-term. In fact, I would hope that one of the takeaways from today's episode is that you should be feeling quite the opposite about shutdowns. In reality, they're way less common than this, like this time of year would have us think. The problem is that we see them. They're one of the last things you see before you go into the offseason. And so it's one of the freshest things in your mind when you start to think about the next season. Oh, I got burned by so-and-so not playing down the stretch. Well, here's the thing. I'll say it again before we get into the, con- the actual players on today's show. One, head-to-head leagues, end your season three weeks early. This stuff becomes a much smaller deal. The teams that are doing it right now, most notably Memphis, was not a team that everybody thought was going to shut down anyway. So avoiding all those players, you wouldn't have done it regardless. Roto, who cares? Pick up a weirdo replacement. They do just fine. But far fewer players tend to shut down than people think at the beginning of the year. Everybody's got a list of like 30 guys they're avoiding on draft night, and then you get to late March, and it's like six dudes. Let's get into today's list. And hopefully I can convey a little bit more about what this means. Also, we'll make it a little bit bigger. There we go. Uh, First of all, follow me on social at Dan Bespris. And please do take a moment to like, rate, and subscribe, no matter how you're tuning into the show. That's always a big thing. Hit that like button. Takes you a few seconds. Hit that subscribe button. Takes you a few seconds. And it goes a long way towards continuing the growth of Fantasy NBA today and Sports Ethos as a whole. My list of shutdown risks are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven names. That's it right now. And there may be some other ones that creep in, like you might see someone in Toronto get a game off here and there. Uh, you might, if the Rockets fall out of contention, I think they're going to keep fighting as long as they can. You might see that team possibly start to embrace it. I don't think the Nets get to that point, not with the coaching change, Jacques Vaughn getting fired yesterday. So you basically got the Pistons, the Wizards, the Hornets, who have already pulled the plug on everybody uh, of name recognition in the Eastern Conference with a, you know honorable mention of the Raptors, the Grizzlies, the Blazers, and then sort of the Spurs. But again, they don't really have veterans left out there. 
And those are the only teams you got to worry about now. And then even within those teams, there aren't that many names left. And in fact, there's only one younger player on my list here. And that player is a guy who's been dealing with a knee issue all season long. And again, like they're so far out of it that, yes, they'd like to get their young guy more playing time, but probably preserving his health is the bigger issue. Portland is probably the easiest one here because we've seen Jeremy Grant do this for three seasons in a row. So there's kind of no reason for us to think that he wouldn't do it for a fourth season in a row. DeAndre Ayton, also on that same team, who I would venture to say is a slightly lower risk of shutdown because he's already missed 17 ball games. So exactly how many more does he actually need to not play to feel like he's like well-rested going into the offseason? So I don't know that that's a thing that happens. But you've got Jeremy Grant and you've got DeAndre Ayton in Portland uh, for the team that, if you had to guess, will be mathematically eliminated with about, well, let's see, what did I just say they were? They're 12 and a half games out now. That probably gets worse before it gets better. So assume they're 14 to 15 games out by mid-March. That gives you about a month left. I don't think the dude takes the whole month off. But it also wouldn't be that insane to see them just start to rest every other game. Uh, and then when you get to about two weeks left, then you see the plug pulled entirely. Uh, Kyle Kuzma and Tyus Jones on the Washington Wizards are the two names that I would be concerned with. Denny Avdia seems like he's having a grand old time. Uh, Kuz has basically played any time he's been healthy enough to. I don't know if Jordan Poole's going to stop playing because I don't know if Jordan Poole ever really started playing this year. Uh, but keep an eye on Kuzma and Tyus Jones in Washington as possible guys that could go on kind of that same, like taking some days off starting by the middle of next month, and then most of the days off towards the end of it. Jakob Pertl in Toronto, uh, mostly just because they're probably going to be out of it at some point. So, you know, the different thing with Toronto here is they're not as far away from it as everybody else. Raptors are five games out. So if you're talking mathematical elimination, you're probably talking more like, you know, the beginning of April. So if your season ends three weeks early, this might not be one that you even need to worry about at all. Cade Cunningham for the Pistons is one that I wasn't sure I needed to put on this list, but then folks were kind of yelling about it uh, on Twitter, and I thought, you know what? Yeah, like he's not at playing at 100%, so why are they going to push him? I know they'd like to go into the offseason with a little bit of sort of the better vibes than what they've had in Detroit over the last little bit. Um, but at the same time, vibes are not all that important. So um, why are we so concerned about it? You can fix the vibes by having a better roster going into the start of next year. Uh, and then no one will even remember whether or not Cade played down the stretch. And JJJ in Memphis is one that we've sort of been eyeballing for a long time. I don't know if guys like Desmond Bain, Marcus Smart, they have a chance to actually come back in the next few weeks. Do they uh, sort of squeeze their way back into a couple of games here and there? Could that then ruin whatever benefits you'd get to the silly season players by Jaron Jackson getting himself shut down? Uh, this is why the Grizzlies have been such a pain in my rear lately. Uh, they're playing everybody like 25 minutes. We saw, you know, JJJ, Luke Kennard get some time off in one of their most recent ball games. Um, and yeah, you know, you got like a, a better iteration of Santi Aldama in those, but what if Desmond Bain decides he wants to come back and play like 16 minutes 
Uh, what if Marcus Smart wants to come back and play 22 minutes, something like that? Um, and so, you know, that's really the sort of like main list that I've been keeping my eye on. Um, one of the questions in the chat room right now has to do with Larry Markinen and the Utah Jazz. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's a possibility. Uh, one of the reasons that I'm a little bit skeptical of it is that Markinen has only played in 46 games right now. Um, out of the Jazz, 56. So, you know, missed 10. Easy math there. Wait, did I say he played in 46? Is that the right number? Triple-checking myself on that. Markinen has played in... Yes, he's missed 10 ball games, and you can miss a total of 17 before you get eliminated from all the various uh, postseason awards. So, depending on how many games he played o plays over, like, the next three weeks, and... I'll admit I don't have the Jazz schedule right in front of me here, but I can pull it up pretty fast if anybody's willing to wait on uh, my computer to do that. So uh, the Jazz come out of the break, and they've got two games later this week, three next week, three the week after that. If he plays in all eight of those games, there's no back-to-backs in there, now you're suddenly at March 11th, and he'd be at 54 out of 64 games, so 18 left, and he would only need to play in, like, 11 of those. So then you probably see Lowry take the back-to-backs off the rest of the way. Utah has one, two, three remaining back-to-backs, so that gets him to 13 games missed. And again, we're talking about a maximum of 17, and I don't know that Markinen is going to make second, third team, all-NBA, whatever it is. He's not going to make first team, and I don't know that he's going to get on any of the, you know, watch war boards for whatever awards, but I do think that he wants to get to 65 to at least put himself in position just in case. So if you grade it on that scale, and I don't know this to be true. I mean, maybe he could, he could do something totally off the rails that has nothing to do with any of this. Uh, that would leave him only four additional wiggle room games, which would basically be like, the other three games the last week, besides the back-to-back, -back, and then the game on Sunday of the penultimate week. So I don't think that that's going to happen. Um, he's having a, a, a strong enough season where he could get in the mix for some kind of uh, various award lists. You know, he's, Larry's at 23 and a half eight and points, 8 and a half boards, 3 threes, 49% shooting, 88% from the free throw line, or 89%, sorry, marketing on uh, reasonably high volume and, you know, that was one of the other reasons why I was talking about, like, DeAndre Aiden, this guy who's already missed a bunch of ball games. I, sometimes I feel like these guys, when they've already missed a ton, they're like, you know, I, let me play a few extra down the stretch. So I'm not quite as bought in on it. But maybe it happens. I To me, like, it's better to use our energy on the guys that have played a pretty good number of games, have absolutely no reason to play out the string. Like, as much as I love Tyus Jones, he's played in 54 of the Wizards game so far this year, which is all of them. Thought he was going to miss that one after the ankle sprain, then he played in it. So yeah, like, he's done his part for that team. Kyle Kuzma, as much as I don't like his fantasy game, he gets overrated because of the points and boards element of it. He still sits at number 109 in 9-cat. He's played in 52 of their 54 games. These guys have been, by and large, healthy, there's just no reason for them to play beyond 65 to 70 games. And so the fact that they played in this many, like, I, I just don't see a reason why they'd want to play in the last 
dozen games of the year a little bit. A couple other questions coming from the chat room on names that are not on my board. Uh, Nick Claxton is another one that came up. I don't think Brooklyn's going into shutdown mode. They're 21 and 33, which is bad, but they're only two and a half games out of a play-in spot. I think you'd have to convince a lot of guys to stop caring. And considering the vibes on this team went from not great to absolutely abysmal when they were all told to take a day off due to fatigue, uh, a tough sell to try to tell all of those guys to take the last month of the season off. They're not going to be mathematically eliminated, if at all. They could very well still pass the Hawks for the last playoff spot if they get like a Kevin Ollie coaching bounce. Or who knows, the Bulls could also fall apart. They're only four and a half games back of that one. It's not like the Raptors, who are already five games out. That's two and a half games out. That's nothing in 27 ball games left. Or what are they at? 28 games left? That's nothing. So I don't expect the Nets to shut people down, if at all. And if they do, it'll be when mathematically eliminated. Like, they get wiped out with three, four games to go. Yeah, you'll see them sit everybody that last week. Uh, except maybe Mikael Bridges, who'll play the first quarter and then rest the rest of the ball game. So, no, I'm not that worried about a Nick Claxton shutdown because uh, I don't think the Nets get eliminated early enough for it to matter in almost any format. Another good question from the chat room. I don't understand why the Wizards would shut down Tyus Jones. He's not a difference maker, and they're already losing. Um, The shutdown isn't necessarily to make sure you lose more. It's to get other guys more playing time. And also, I would contend that he is actually a difference maker. They got a lot better. I know the Wizards are still awful. They're 9-45, and but they got way more competitive when they started to let Tyus Jones do more stuff. I don't even remember the year, the beginning of the year, when it was all Kyle Kuzma with a smattering of Jordan Poole, and they were not competitive. Blowouts. They had blowouts in 11 of their first 22 games. I think one of those was a win, and the other 10 were losses. They're still losing plenty, but they're competitive with Tyus Jones in there. He is a significant difference maker for what they do. And again, it's about getting guys minutes. It's not about necessarily losing more games. These teams that are are at the bottom are already losing plenty. Although at the same time, the Wizards are going to want to make sure that they stay below the Hornets and the Trailblazers. I don't think that they'll get passed by those guys in the losing battle, but anything's possible. So yeah, it's like... It's not about the guy that can score more points in these things. It's about getting dudes playing time that weren't necessarily in there anyway. Also, another good point made by Tomas, the Nets don't even have their own picks. There's absolutely no reason for them to go shut down mode. Not that there was anyway. I'm already arguing they're not going to because the Nets are two and a half games out of a playoff spot. They're not shutting people down. If someone's not playing for Brooklyn, it's because they're actually hurt right now. They have absolutely no reason not to try to win. They're just not a good basketball team. (laughs) But uh, if we've seen anything over the years, it's when a team with horrible vibes fires their hedge coach, they often win one or two games right after. So look for Brooklyn to uh, sneak a couple of wins here, maybe right out of the All-Star break. You might see the sort of coaching balance. They're in Toronto. That's a winnable game. They'll probably lose in Minnesota, win in Memphis. They got this road trip here. Uh, look for Brooklyn to maybe win like two of their next three games and everybody can feel a little bit better. But here's the thing. Like I made this list and you guys added a few names to it. Markinen, you know, stuff with Utah. They're a possibility because we know they're still 
sort of more in a losing mindset. The wins are a little bit more by accident this year. And you're like, oh, well, what's the point if you're not in the bottom three? The point is you want as high a draft pick as possible. And you want, you know, a 6% chance of getting in the lottery or in the uh, in the top three uh, instead of like a 4% chance. Your chance goes up a little bit every time you pass a team for a worse record, so to speak. So, yes, this could still happen with Utah. Um and Victor says, I'm interested to see the players to target because of these shutdowns. Yes, Victor, that will be probably tomorrow's show. Thursday's at the absolute latest. This is sort of a part one of players to watch on the shutdown board, and then we'll do a show on who could potentially win out. Um, and that's, I think, probably the logic on the most likely shutdown guys. And again, I don't think you even see all of these guys get shut down. This is like... I think relatively comprehensive, at least in terms of guys that have fantasy value right now. Uh, I do want to quickly take like uh, three or four minutes to talk about the uh, some possible sell highs that are not related to this shutdown board. Uh, but I want to get these names in there and just uh, you know three four minutes on on what they mean. Sell high names. On the Knicks, Dante DiVincenzo and Isaiah Hartenstein. DiVincenzo, uh, mostly because of the absence of Julius Randle and OG Ananobi. Isaiah Hartenstein, mostly because of the absence of Mitchell Robinson, who they're still hoping to get back. And I think you could probably still get something pretty darn good for Hartenstein because there actually is still a chance that Robinson doesn't come back. So, yes, you can hang on to that one. And I, I want you guys to make sure you're interpreting this properly. This is not me saying that you absolutely positively must go trade Isaiah Hartenstein. I just think if you could get like a top 75, 70 kind of guy for him, you take a small hit in the short term because he's rolling top 50 when he's playing, sometimes even a little bit better than that. But you're also escaping the possibility, even the chance, 20, 30 percent chance, whatever it is that Robinson comes back and you're left with a non-usable player. So that's the thought process on those guys. Jonathan Kaminga in Golden State. The regression has already begun to hit. So it may be too late on this one, but you know it's not like I didn't give you guys a thousand warnings that Kaminga was not going to be able to keep up high volume, 60% shooting. Uh, he's a 50-some-odd. Like, that's, that's a doable thing. Um, but he's now outside the top 140 over the last two weeks because the shooting is back down to 54%. Free throws are at 78% instead of 90%. He doesn't get that many steals, blocks, or threes. It's mostly points with a smattering of rebounds and assists and a decent field goal percent. He'll be fine, but you're seeing the bottom come out a little bit. Don't say I didn't warn you. Cam Thomas is another one on the uh, sell-high board because he's his stat set is overloaded towards, uh, well, I said one category, but that's kind of being needlessly mean just to make a point it's really more about him being leaning so hard into the scoring categories that people then forget about the other stuff the nice thing about cam thomas at least right now is that he has the starters job so a floor for him is more like 125 now where the floor off the bench was like 225 so if you want to hang on just like with kaminga if you want to hang on and just like play a guy who's probably going to have some fantasy value the rest of the way that's fine but when he pops off and shoots 52% in a ball game and scores 29 points with, uh, you know, four boards and seven assists and a steal and four three-pointers, 
that's your opportunity to go try to convince somebody that he's going to be a top 65, 75 range guy the rest of the way. And I know what you're thinking. Damn, you keep talking about selling guys for that 75 range. Is it even worth it? And the answer in my mind is yes. There are a lot of pretty good guys in that 75 range that maybe are just not that exciting and maybe fit a team build better. You know, if you need Cam Thomas for his scoring and you don't care about the massive field goal percent issue he puts up, fine. Just dial him in the rest of the way. But maybe you want someone like a Mike Conley, who's the most boring top 70 player in the NBA. But damn it, he's top 70 and he has been the whole freaking year. Good assists, good threes, some steals. Doesn't really hurt you in, in many places at all. Low turnovers. Keegan Murray, he's slumping lately. Number 66 overall. Alex Caruso, number 63, does it with defense. I mean, honestly, after a big game or two from Cam Thomas, I feel pretty certain you could get those guys. You might even be able to get Austin Reeves if people are worried about what Spencer Dinwiddie might do. I'm personally not, but someone might be. And then the last, the last two names on the sell high board are ones that you guys are going to yell at me about, and that's okay. But I talked about them on Friday's week review show, and it's Trey Mann and Keontae George. The reason that they're sell highs is not because I don't think they're going to be fun to roster. I think Trey Mann and Keontae George could both be kind of fun, but because of the buzz. Because they went into the All-Star break with big ball games, and that's all anybody's going to remember. Trey Mann's last ball game, he shot the ball exceptionally well. That's awesome. That's a window of opportunity. 54%, 7 of 13, 4 three-pointers, and 3 of 3 at the free throw line. Career 40% are from the field, 79% are at the free throw line. Seven rebounds a game he's averaging for Charlotte right now. I don't even care if LaMelo Ball comes back. That rebounding number is unlikely to hold. I mean, I know Charlotte's not the best rebounding team, so he can get in there and scoop a few, but, I mean, we're talking about a guy who's 6'3", a buck 80, soaking wet. You don't think eventually that's going to catch up to him? It will. The assists will obviously be better, like we talked about. The rate of assists will be better than what it was in Oklahoma City because he's playing a lot of point guard now for Charlotte, but there's a lot of unsustainable stuff there and a lot of unsustainable stuff going on for Keontae George as well. These guys are shooting over their heads, and... Because there isn't as much of a sample size, and it's the same thing we saw with Jonathan Kaminga, there's a much higher likelihood for other managers in your league to convince themselves that it's a sustainable number. When we all know it just isn't. We knew Kaminga wasn't going to shoot 65% on 18 shots a game long term, or 16 shots a game, whatever the hell it was. It just wasn't going to happen. We know Keontae George isn't suddenly a 55% field goal guy. He's not. Guys get hot. Guys go cold. It's just, it's not a, about these guys, even these two dudes in particular. The reason these guys, Trey Mann, Keontae George, are on the board right now is because they just changed team, or one of them changed teams and the other one got some minutes opened up. He got the starting job and some guys got traded and blah, blah, blah. It's because there's an unknown. And when you have an unknown people are able to convince themselves that anything is possible. When we know, when we know that anything is not possible, 
very specific windows of things are possible. But people start to think outside that. They get this sort of delusions of fantasy grandeur. Oh, this is who they are now. This is a guy that's going to shoot 50% in his new role. This is a guy that's going to grab nine rebounds a game out of the shooting guard spot. Nah, it just doesn't work that way. So anyway, that's the point on all this stuff. And if you have me looking at these names again, uh, the sell high board, one, two, three, four, five, six. There's six names here. DiVincenzo could possibly, after this team is healthy, he probably ends up in like the 125 range. Hardenstein, if Mitchell Robinson comes back, likely falls back towards the edge of the top 100 or a little out of it. Again, don't know if he's going to come back. Kaminga probably stays inside the top 100, but we've seen the regression hit. Cam Thomas, probably 125-ish, maybe a little better than that. Trey Mann, Keontae George, in my opinion, likely kind of in that same range in 9-cat. So again, you're talking about, you know, outside of DiVincenzo, pretty much all these guys could just be okay rest-of-season players, but you want to try to capitalize and get more than what you think they might be worth. So if you think Kaminga is going to be a top 90 guy the rest of the way, but he goes on another top 25 run, you settle for something in between there. If you think Camp Thomas is going to settle at 115, but he goes on a two-week run of top 60, you settle for something in between there. That's the concept of the sell high. It doesn't mean that these guys are radioactive and you need to abandon ship. It just means, is there a discrepancy between what you believe their rest of season numbers are going to be and what the general public? Hell, screw the general public. Just one manager in your league is all you need believes their rest of season value is going to be. And anything in between there is a small to medium-sized win for you. So see what you can do. Tomorrow, we'll talk about some of the possible winners. Yes, from shutdown time. Or Thursday, we'll talk about possible winners. I've got two topics to cover over the next two days, and I don't know what order I'm going to do them in. So sit back, relax, enjoy the ball game. And on Friday, we'll talk about the uh, very busy Thursday because we'll be back into damn basketball. Hopefully, we'll have some time for a show over the weekend as well. I'd love to do that because we could potentially do like a little couple day, like reset type of deal. But uh, we'll uh, we'll see how all that stuff plays out. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, everybody. Thanks for a, a lot of you guys actually tuning in on this, considering we're in the middle of the All-Star break. So appreciate that. Please do hit a like button on your way out. Hit a subscribe button on your way out. Hang with Dano uh, more often, if at all possible. I do appreciate everybody doing that. And find me over on social again. That's at Dan Bespris on Twitter. Fantasy uh, NBA Today is the name of the show. Sportsethos.com is the website. Thank you to the folks in the chat room for bringing up some fun names that we were able to kind of add, semi-add to the list or, you know, knock off the list or whatever. This is a good one. We'll talk more about some winners tomorrow. And yes, good point, Manila Most Wanted. Come to Discord. That link is in the show description. It is free to join. We'll see you over there. So long for now, everybody.